1: To get started, visit plushcare.com/slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's Fix It Shorts with Richard and Jim. Solutions podcast in 15 minutes or less.
2: There's been no shortage of rough stuff in the political campaign. Yeah, no question. I don't mind some intense partisanship, but the personal nature of some of this stuff has really gotten ugly.
3: Yeah, it first became ugly in the Republican debates earlier this year.
2: For the last year, Donald Trump has mocked everybody with personal attacks. He's done so to people that are sitting on the stage today. He referred
3: to my hands, if they're small, something else must be small. I guarantee you there's no
2: problem. I guarantee
1: (laughs) With this pattern, he should not be
3: surprised to see people calling him sleazy Donald.
2: And I think we can expect a lot more of that when we get into the debates between Clinton and Trump. I am tired of Donald Trump insulting Americans. I am tired of Donald Trump talking down America.
3: I watched Hillary today. It was pathetic.
2: It was pathetic.
3: So on today's Fix It Shorts, have our politics reached a new low, and are we in need of a big shakeup, including a third political
2: party? Okay, I'll leave the discussion of a third party till later, but... To get a historian's perspective, Sean Wilentz of Princeton University is one of the country's best-known professors of American political and social history.
3: He's the author of The Age of Reagan, The Rise of American Democracy, and now his new book, The Politicians and the Egalitarians.
2: So, Richard, you talked to Sean Wilentz about how this year's campaign compares to previous campaigns. Let's hear a little bit of that.
1: American politics has always been organized around political parties. Political parties are how we focus our diverse clashes of interests. They are the vehicles of democracy. The idea of there being heated partisan clashes, that's nothing new in American history. There were heated partisan clashes in 1800, even more heated than today in some ways, or at least as heated as today. Today is pretty, pretty special. 1930s, when FDR came in, I mean, FDR was a party politician, um, Abraham Lincoln was a party politician. Y- Thomas yeah, some,
3: Jefferson. Was. Some people called those guys hacks exactly. before they became yeah. the great presidents that yeah, they were. You see,
1: so in every in, in every hack, there's a potential statesman, I suppose. Party politics evolved along with American democracy. It is part and parcel of American democracy. It is the way to organize masses of voters, masses of people in blocks that make sense, that are coherent. And the fact that we have a, don't have a parliamentary system but have a presidential system, and the fact that we have a first-past-the-post system means that there are only going to be two parties for the most part. Third parties will come and go
3: yeah I was going to ask you about that because it's easy to argue we need political parties as a nation as an organizing principle mm-hmm. they're, they're two important brands if you will yes but why only two why can't there be three four five
1: well there could be but they're not going to last because the way the system operates is that if you have a if you win with a plurality and you're not going to get proportional representation you know if you get 10 percent of the vote you're not going to get 10 percent of the representation under that system it gravitates towards only having two because because a third party, more than li- more likely than not, will just help the opposing party that is least like them, will draw votes away from the party that's more like them. What usually happens is that a third party will come along, and that one of the two parties will eventually absorb its ideas. The logic of the system that the framers designed, even though the framers didn't like Party politics, but they came about. They invented a system which parties were uh, more or less inevitable, and in which two parties were going to be, um, you know, going to be the most enduring.
3: Sean Wilentz, gloves off. I'm a political independent, and I'm if not in the majority, the Mm -hmm. largest percentage of Americans now Mm -hmm. are identifying. As independents, Mm -hmm. not as Democrats and Republicans. Mm -hmm. And some of that is because of the disgust over the way politicians, in particular partisan politicians, behave. Bearing that in mind, do we have a future?
1: (laughs) You and I? Yeah, we have a future. We're going to be together talking about this. No, sure, we have a future. Look, political parties have weakened actually self-destructed in some ways since the 1960s. There was a time when political parties were quite robust, when people really did identify with it. They were no less partisan back then than they are now. But they're more shrill now, aren't they, and more ideological or dogmatic? No, I don't think that's right. (laughs) I mean, in 1850, things got so ideologically uh, divided that we ended up killing each other to the tune of 750,000 people in the Civil War. So the issues there were just as nasty with the things that were said about Abraham Lincoln and the things that this Republican Republicans said about his adversaries were terribly. I mean, I think of the election of 1828, when um, it was Andrew Jackson was pitted against John Quincy Adams, and John Quincy Adams's supporters accused Jackson's mother of being a prostitute who had slept with a black man, meaning that um, a, a, uh, that Andrew Jackson was a mulatto. Now. That's about as nasty as you can imagine, right? That's personal. That's right down in the gutter. This kind of slime, nasty stuff is nothing new in American politics.
3: But now we have a right-wing Republican Party and an increasingly liberal Democratic Party. It used to be in the 60s and 50s where we had uh, yes. southern conservatives in the Democratic Party and we had northern liberals, northeast liberals right. in the Republican Party, which diluted that dogmatic thing. I agree with that.
1: I, I agree with that. And parties have – this is where the self-destructions come in, I think. Um, certainly in the Republican Party, you've seen the, the dropping out of a moderate, the moderate wing. Parties change all the time in one way or another. For example, in the 1850s, Right. When the issue of slavery came up, it had been suppressed for a very long time. The issue of slavery could not be suppressed forever. So one party, in fact, fell apart. What I'm saying is that there's no inevitabilities. There's no, the American party system is not written in stone. It's going to change. It's going to evolve. So what you've described sounds pretty much the way that the, Democrat, the Democrats and the Republicans have worked themselves out since the 1930s. Is that going to remain the same? I don't know.
3: So you could have a virtual collapse of one party, but what you're saying is still eventually we're going to end up with, with two, two parties. You got it. I think that's right. But you say that the
1: hyper-partisanship that we're yeah, going through yeah. in this era isn't particularly new in historical terms. Well, the hyperpartisanship is. The partisanship, no. But there's a difference between partisanship and hyperpartisanship. Hyperpartisanship Hyper-partisanship is where you cannot imagine the other side even existing. You want to obliterate them. You want to wipe them off the face of the earth.
3: Some say this is the product of the internet age. And that, and that the idea that anybody who doesn't agree with me is, is evil.
1: There are, ma- there are days in this campaign which where I've wanted to abolish the internet. I mean, for all the wonderful things that it does, it's had a terrible effect on politics. And not just the internet, but the whole social media phenomenon. It has siloed people. People only listen to what they want to hear. It reinforces their own prejudices. And then it also stirs things up into a kind of hysteria. I mean, you know, that Twitter stuff, it goes back and forth and back and forth. You can get a, you know, an instant mob if you want to. I worry about all of that. It's a problem not just for politics. It's a problem for our whole way of life.
3: So that's the long view from history professor Sean Mullins. So, Jim, we've been railing against hyper-partisanship for months now on how do we fix it. Is there really a difference this year? I think there is.
2: Well, I- I want to push back on the idea that the problem is hyper-partisanship. I mean, Wilentz makes a great point that we've seen some really, really ugly moments in the past. But what's so interesting about this year to me, it's not the extremes of the Republican Party or the extremes of the Democratic Party that have been the issue. It's the candidates, both Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, have come into the debate who are basically running against their own parties and transforming politics from a partisan kind of politics where there's a set... Of ideas and values the party stands for, and then the parties debate how far they want to go to the extremes to support those. Versus what Trump, in particular, is offering, is more of a Latin American style of a strong man government. That el, the exact el, 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 el Jefe, El Jefe, <laughs> yeah. El Jefe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the idea that you just vote for me, I'll protect your friends, I'll punish your enemies. The exact policies don't matter. What matters is a strong man who can represent your team, your group. But doesn't
3: that speak to the weakness of the Republican Party and indeed the rise of Bernie Sanders, the weakness of the traditional Democratic Party? I mean, both parties have real problems.
2: Yes, no question about it. Now, a lot of this is driven by people who they don't really want to rebuild a party. They want to burn it down. It's a screw you vote on both sides for a lot of these people. I think one of the reactions
3: from many people is the biggest group of voters out there now self-identify as independents. Is there room for a third political party? And Sean Wilentz
2: very clear about that and says, no way, it's not going to happen. It's going to draw votes away from whichever party it's ideologically closest to. So if there is a party that favors a certain set of policies and a third party comes along that just varies slightly from that, well, the person who completely opposes those policies isn't going to vote for the third party. You're going to divide the vote of that particular um, set of, of beliefs. And there's really no way out of that.
3: But we are the, the fix-it guys. We are about solutions on this show. So let's, let's look at a few of them. I mean, I think that what's really important is that people from both parties realize that they've got to talk across the aisle. I mean, there's one really great example very recently of the new bill that's now being signed into law on household chemicals. For the first time, we're having regulation of toxic household chemicals found in many products that are in our homes. And this was the result of of a bipartisan effort by Democrats and Republicans, by an environmentalist group, uh, specifically uh, the Environmental Defense Fund, and the chemical industry saying we need, instead of a hodgepodge of local and state regulations, we need something national. It was a great example of reform from different interest
2: groups. It's such a good model for the way things ought to work. Sadly, the extremists in both Parties are against this kind of discussion, this kind of compromise. But you're absolutely right. The key here to me, it isn't that we need to get beyond partisanship. It's that you can be partisan. You can recognize your differences and still find common ground. For example... um, Criminal justice reform. The Koch brothers. Yeah, you know, so the,
3: vilified on the left. So right. vilified
2: on the left. And Van Jones, a uh, a public commentator, former White House staffer, Community
3: who, organizer. Who once yeah.
2: described himself as to the left of Karl Marx. <laughs> <laughs> is that possible? Yeah. But he and the Koch brothers have found some common ground. Instead of spending all their time vilifying each other and feeling virtuous, they said, we actually care more about this issue than about feeling virtuous. And,
3: and this is the whole issue around... Uh, Long prison sentences and doing something about the vast numbers of people in jail who may not be a danger to
2: society. Right, it's a really important issue. If there's anything we should be able to find both sides agreeing on,
3: I think Sean Melendez's arguments about uh, the third party are pretty convincing. But I do think that because there's been so much hyperpartisanship, but independent vote commissions, I think they're a great idea. I think that, that that just trying to look at areas where we can have uh, more competitive races. I also think that, and you may disagree with me on this, but I do think that one of the big mistakes in our law is on hiding the identity of people who fund political
2: campaigns. I'm actually not sure I agree with that because I think, you know... The, the left is very good at vilifying uh, people on the other side. And I, I think that the ability to invest in, in political speech. Yeah,
3: I, I don't have a big problem with people spending money in political speech. I just want to know who they are. I right. don't think there's anything wrong with that.
2: I, well, let's do another show on this. Okay. I, uh, th- there's we a, agree there's actually some, there's some interesting counterarguments to that. Okay. Um, okay. But here, let's take another example of people from very different. Uh, worldviews coming together, and that's this organization, Living Room Conversations. We had a great podcast with Joan Blades, one of the founders of MoveOn.org, sitting down with one of the founders of the Tea Party and discovering not only that they had some common ground, but they could actually be friends.
3: Yeah, they like each other. And other groups that are that are worth checking out on all sides, uh, John Gable, another guest on a previous How Do We Fix It, uh, talking about uh, how we view the internet, how we look at new stories from different points of view and there's also this wonderful article that we will link to about uh, getting beyond hyper partisanship it's the transpartisan movement and this was an article that came uh, from Pacific Standard which is also an interesting group that's looking at constructive solutions to politics
2: and so for me Richard I'm one of the great things about doing this podcast is we set out over a year ago when we started okay, neither of us are too terribly extreme but we come from different sides of the political spectrum can we find a way to discuss the differences but also look for common ground look for solutions but people need to do it in their individual lives as well are you are you gleefully vilifying the opposition are you having too much fun painting people you disagree with as idiots and moral ingrates are you doing the john stewart it's better to humiliate my enemies than listen to them
3: okay we're out of here Let's fix it shorts thanks for joining us produced by davies content check us out how do we fix it dot me davies content
1: flexibility is great that's why there's yoga